0: Eight hundred six hundred. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of love Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone. Your presence. is What our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence. Lord.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. One of the reasons this broadcast is called Pilgrim's Progress has to do with the belief that John Bunyan held that the journey to heaven was a journey. It was a horizontal line. Oh, it was traveling up, but it was a horizontal line. Today, many think of the gospel not as a horizontal line, but as a vertical line. And they understand that when we pass that one point, when we say Jesus is Lord and we say a little sinner's prayer, and the pastors have taught at that point you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. And that you can sin after that, but you're still saved because you pass that one key test of saying yes, I'll believe in Jesus. That's not what the Scripture describes. In Scripture, it's a journey. We're going to talk about that journey. I want to share with you today, again in review, part of Acts, the eighth chapter. Let me just read this story for you. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil demons came out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip... And he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Notice that is a water baptism. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Baptism number two. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received or were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word received is used in Scripture in the same manner as baptized is used. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord, and perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart for I see that you are full of bitterness captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now I read this story I'm astounded by it. And what so astonishes me about it is the, is the power that is evident and the purity that is evident. Purity from sin. And when a man comes and is baptized illegitimately, they should not have baptized Simon. He's a sorcerer. And he repented, but he wasn't clean. His heart still held great bitterness. He was still captive to his sin. He was still in bondage. And he tries to buy the Holy Spirit. Now, what's plain is that it was the baptism in the water, but it was also the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And these were two separate events. Both were necessary on this journey toward heaven. This was not a one-time thing, be baptized in water and now you're on your way to heaven. Or just say this sinner's prayer and now you're on your way to heaven. Yes, you are on your way, but you're not there yet. Now when I look at this, my heart grows very sad. Now, what I'm going to say may offend some of you. And if it does, I'm truly sorry. I would not attempt to discourage any of you from this journey with Jesus. But I want to tell you I've been a Christian all my life, I majored in college in a Christian college in theology and communications. I went on to seminary and received my Masters of Divinity. I have taken countless hours of advanced training in psychotherapy and in other helpful things for the gospel of Jesus. But my life, to me, has been very disappointing. I have been disappointed in the church. I was disappointed as a child in the church when my mother and father would come home from a nominating committee meeting and thinking that I was asleep, but I wasn't. I was up listening. And they were describing the bitter fights that would go on. When I would see the politics of the church, my father used to say to me, Ray, don't ever pull the cover back because what you'll see is filth. He was right. The politics and the corruption and the money and the business. But that's not really what has disappointed my heart the most. What has disappointed my heart the most is the absence of the power of God in the church to touch and change the world and the people who claim to be Christians. And I have so struggled with this and then finally I would throw the struggle off and I would go back to, okay, I have to go in the anointing I have. I have to work with what I have. And so I will work hard. But in my heart, There's a great sadness for the church and for my own Christian walk in the church. I was praying about this this morning and a story came to mind. Please, I'm going to share this story with you. It's a famous one by Hans Christian Andersen. The Emperor's New Clothes. I think it aptly describes the modern church in America. Many years ago there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all of his money on being well-dressed. He cared nothing about reviewing his soldiers or going to the theater or going for a ride in his carriage except to show off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and instead of saying, as one might, about any other ruler, the king is in council, here they always said the emperor's in his dressing room. In the great city where he lived, life was always happy. Every day many strangers came to town, and among them one day came two swindlers. They let it be known that they were weavers. They said they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or who was unusually stupid. Those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire are unfit for their posts, and I could tell the wise men from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of that stuff woven for me right away. So he paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing on the looms. All the finest silk and purest old thread which they demanded went into their traveling bags while they worked the empty looms far into the night. I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought, but he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that those who were unfit for their position would not be able to see the fabric. It couldn't have been that he doubted himself, yet he thought, He'd rather send someone else to see how things were going. The whole town knew about the cloths, the cloth's particular power, and all were impatient to find out how stupid their neighbors were. "'I'll send my honest old minister to the weavers,' the emperor decided. "'He'll be the best one to tell me how the material looks, "'for he's a sensible man and no one does his duty any better.' "'So the honest old minister went into the room "'where the two swindlers sat working away at their empty looms. "'Heaven help me,' he thought, as his eyes flew wide open. "'I can't see anything at all.' "'But he didn't say so. "'Both the swindlers begged him to be so kind "'as to come near to approve the excellent pattern. "'The beautiful colors they pointed to the empty looms.' And the poor old minister stared as hard as he dared. He couldn't see anything because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd have never guessed it, and not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be the minister? It would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. Oh, don't hesitate to tell us what you think of it said one of the weavers. Oh, it's beautiful, it's enchanting, the old minister peered through his spectacles. Such a pattern, what colors! I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. We're pleased to hear that, the swindlers said, and they proceeded to name all the colors and to explain the intricate pattern. The old minister paid the closest attention so that he could tell it all to the emperor, and so he did. The swindlers at once asked for more money, more silk and gold thread, to get on with the weaving, but it all went into their pockets. Not a thread went into the looms, though they worked at their weaving as hard as ever. The emperor presently sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed and how soon it would be ready. The same thing happened to him that had happened to the minister. He looked and he looked. "'but as there was nothing to see in the loom, "'he couldn't see anything. "'Isn't it a beautiful piece of goods?' the swindler asked him, "'and they displayed and described their imaginary pattern. "'I know I'm not stupid,' the man thought, "'so it must be that I'm one worthy of my good office. "'That's strange. I mustn't let anyone find it out, though.' "'So he praised the material he did not see, "'and he declared he was delighted with the beautiful colors.' "'and the exquisite pattern. "'To the emperor, he said, "'It held me spellbound.' "'All the town was talking of this splendid cloth, "'and all the emperor And the emperor wanted to see it for himself "'while he was still in the looms. "'Attended by a band of chosen men, "'among whom were his two old trusted officials, "'the ones who had been in the weavers, "'he set out to see the two swindlers.' He found them weaving with might and main, but without a thread in their loom. "'Magnificent!' said the two officials, already duped. "'Just look, your majesty! What colors! What a design!' They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the others could see the stuff. "'What's this?' thought the emperor. "'I can't see anything. This is terrible. "'Am I a fool?' "'Am I unfit to be the emperor? "'What a thing to happen to me of all people. "'Oh, it's very pretty,' he said. "'It has my highest approval.' "'And he nodded approbation at the empty loom. "'Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything.' "'His whole retinue stared and stared. "'One saw no more than another, "'but they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, "'Oh, it's very pretty.' and they advised him to wear the clothes made of this wonderful cloth, especially for the great procession he was soon to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed, were bandied from mouth to mouth, and everyone did his best to seem well pleased. The emperor gave each of the swindlers a cross to wear in his buttonhole and the title of Sir Weaver. Before the procession the swindlers sat up all night and burned more than six candles to show how busy they were finishing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take the the cloth off the loom and they made cuts in the air with huge scissors and at last they said now the emperor's new clothes are ready for him. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest noblemen. and the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. And they said, These are the trousers, here's the coat, and this is the mantle, naming each garment. All of them are as light as a spider web. One would almost think he had nothing on, but that's what makes them so fine. Exactly all of the noblemen agreed, though they could see nothing, for there was nothing to see. "'If your imperial majesty will condescend to take your clothes off,' said the swindlers, "'we will help you on with your new ones here in front of the of the long mirror.' "'The emperor undressed, and the swindlers pretended to put on his new clothes, "'one garment after another. "'They took him around the waist and seemed to be fastening something that was his train "'as the emperor turned around and round before the looking-glass.' "'How well your majesty's new clothes look. "'Aren't they becoming?' he heard on all sides. "'That pattern is so perfect. "'Those colors are so suitable. "'It is a magnificent outfit.' "'Then the minister of public processions announced, "'Your majesty's canopy is waiting outside. "'Well,' "'I'm supposed to be ready,' the emperor said and turned again for one last look in the mirror. "'It is a remarkable fit, isn't it?' he seemed to regard his costume with the greatest interest. "'The noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached for the floor as if they were picking up his mantle. "'Then they pretended to lift and hold it high. "'They didn't dare admit they had nothing to hold.' So off went the emperor in procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows said, Oh, how fine are the emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection? And see his long train. Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything, for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. No costume the emperor had ever worn before was ever such a complete and total success but he hasn't got anything on a little child said did you ever hear such innocent prattle said its father and one person whispered to another what the child had said he hasn't anything on a child says he hasn't anything on but he hasn't got anything on the whole town cried out at last The emperor shivered, for he suspected they were right, but he thought, this procession has to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever as his nobleman held high the train that wasn't there at all. Hans Christian Andersen, the emperor who had no clothes. That story chills my heart for I see the church with all of its finery its beautiful buildings and the pastors wearing either junk clothes because they want to just go and hang out with the congregation because nothing important is going to happen there but they won't admit that or they're dressed up in their fine robes and they come striding down the aisle with their cross and their mantle. But there's still nothing there. There's no power. Oh, they have wonderful theology. Jesus is risen, He is the Christ. But where's the power? Where is the power? Where is the purity? If there's no purity and there's no power, what are we doing? Yes, I visited one church and the deacon was chewing a big wad of tobacco. I said to him, that's a filthy habit. How can you serve in the church And be responsible for setting up the sanctuary and for doing this and doing that, and still sin against the Holy Spirit. He said, Come on. What difference is there between my chewing and the pastor smoking his stogie, his cigar? Well, I had to admit, I couldn't find much difference. I'm very troubled. I'm very troubled. We have a church today that has no power and that has no purity. And if this continues much longer the church is going to collapse. It's held up right now by sentimental so-called Christian music that is pretty much of the world hip-hop, and all kinds of rock and roll, and all kinds of, it's held up by concerts, it's held up by building campaigns to see who can build the most beautiful edifice. It seems there's a church almost on every corner. But where's the power? Where's the purity? It's absent. but everybody's saved. Everybody's on their way to heaven. You can open the door wide to the rainbow community. You can have same-sex marriages as if there were such a thing. There's not. God created marriage. He didn't create John and Steve. There's the abortions, the babies that are slaughtered, and the church casually accepts the wickedness of the age. There's the constant seeking after money and success and power. There's the constant infighting in the church with bitterness and anger and the people who are in and the people who are out. If you dare go into a church and begin to preach a gospel of righteousness, they will kick you out, as has happened to me. They don't want to hear this, that there should be power and purity in the church. They go hand in hand. One is the baptism of water and one is the baptism of the Spirit. Two separate baptisms, but both vital for the church. And we've cast them aside. I've tried to go back in the scriptures and actually look at at what the Word says. I'll read for you Luke, the third chapter. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. They were wondering this because John was preaching purity, heart purity. Repent. Get right with God. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away. But John answered them. This is Luke, the third chapter, verse 16. I baptize you with water. Water is for the washing away of the sin. Now, there was nothing magical about the water. They simply obeyed the Lord God of heaven. His purpose for them was that they would be baptized in water, the dirty Jordan, But God would do something supernatural. He would wipe away their sins. He would cleanse them. He would prepare them for Messiah. But he went on, But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the Baptist, John the Baptist, is saying, Jesus the Baptist is coming. And Jesus the Baptist is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now at Pentecost, two things happened. The great wind of God breathing on these precious 120 believers. The other thing that happened was a tongue of fire appeared above them, a symbol of judgment. Fire is a symbol of, of cleansing, of Of purity and with it power in the wind, in the mighty wind of God. Now, I want you to look with me at another scripture over here in the Gospel of John. Again, it's about John the Baptist verse 29. This is chapter 1, verse 29, the Gospel of John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, if Jesus does not take away your sin, he is not your Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is has a function, and that is to take away the sin. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, we're going to begin over the coming days to see a pattern. And if we're going to be serious in today's church, we're going to have to cancel much of our theology and many of our practices. And we're going to have to come back to a very primitive early church position. Today, water baptism is poo-pooed. People sprinkle or dampen the forehead or Just totally put it away. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that you were to be baptized in water for a cleansing, a washing away of your sin to prepare you to receive the Messiah. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. Now I want you to notice what I'm going to read to you now was spoken to him by the Father, by God. It is to be taken seriously. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now we have two elements here. First, we have John coming and baptizing with water to prepare the people for the coming of Messiah. Secondly, we have the Father himself saying that Jesus will become the second baptizer, but he will baptize not with water. He will baptize with Holy Spirit. He will baptize with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, purity. Part of what we have to look at is the reality that we're being spoken to by the Father about the experiencing of the coming in of the Holy Spirit in power into a man or woman's life. Now we also recognize from the first passage and we could look at Matthew or Mark, they say the same thing. That Jesus comes to baptize with fire. He's going to judge sin. He comes with purity and power. If we are to recapture the early church experience Of making a city rejoice and be happy because of the wonderful works of God in that city. We're going to have to admit that we have no clothes on today, that the church in America has become a sham, that it's pretend. And no one wants to say the church doesn't have any clothes on, but in fact, we're naked. We don't have the righteous acts that's spoken of in the book of Revelation. We do not have the overcoming spoken of in the second chapter of Revelation and the third chapter. Let's face the reality, and I please, I don't mean to be offending any of you, but we're in very serious trouble. And if you have not been baptized in water, You need to repent of your sin and you need to be immersed in water. Oh, pastor, does that mean I'm not saved if I haven't been baptized? Oh, you're thinking with a vertical line, not the horizontal line of Pilgrim's Progress. You see the difference. Most people today just want to get their their ticket out of hell. Oh, I said yes. Yes. But then I've gone on to live my own life because the preachers all told me I was, I was free. I would only lose a little fellowship with God and, and my rewards wouldn't be as quite as great on the other side. I might live in a smaller house on the other side, but I'm free to live my life. No clothes. Naked before God. Naked before the world, naked before the pagans, and so they disrespect the church. In America, we have no influence on on the opiate crisis. We have no influence on the suicide rate. We have no. We have no power. To stop the mad headlong rush toward hell. Instead, we say, "Oh, you're a homosexual. Come on in." You're welcome to be a member here. In fact, our pastor's gay. Our, our music leader's gay. That's not a problem here. We're all on the journey toward heaven. What utter wickedness before God. The church today has lost all of its standards of righteousness. Today the church is a shell of its former self in America. It's not this way in all parts of the world. There are parts of the world where a man or woman is, is killed if they're a follower of Jesus, and they're sincere, and they live righteous and upright lives, but not in America. So we don't have the power to heal the sick or raise the dead. We don't have the power to turn the heart of a suicidal person to righteousness. Instead, we say to them, and I've heard this, you're not lost when you commit suicide. It's fine. It's sad, but it's fine. God loves you. You're saved. You can't be lost. Your reward's in heaven. I hear these kinds of things and I shudder. Somebody lied to that man. They didn't speak the truth to him in love. So in the church today, we focus on large congregations and big concerts and big name speakers and we build large facilities and it's a rock and roll church and we say everything's fine. But the world says, you don't have any clothes on. You're naked. And they don't want any part of it. This is particularly true among the millennials today. They don't want any part of this deal. Because there's no purity and there's no power, there's no Holy Spirit. It's all a farce. And I'm sick. My heart is sick. I'm speaking this as a man who's been a part of the church all of my life. I've been a pastor, full-time pastor, for 49 years as of September 1. I've given my life for ministry and for the church. I've pastored in large mega churches and small tiny house churches. I've seen it. I know it. It smells. It stinks. It's a stench before God. It has to change. It's going to require a preparation. Revival cannot come to America until there is a great cry of repentance before him and a turning from wickedness and an understanding of how we stand before a holy and righteous God. We must see the church through the eyes of jesus my heart's broken i don't say these things to you with with easy comfort they pain me greatly i have wept much over this the scriptures are so plain if you come over here to the third chapter of, of the Gospel of John Nicodemus that Pharisee of the night who finally was converted he came to Jesus he said Rabbi we know you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the, mir- the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him Oh, he's throwing a punch over at John the Baptist who hasn't worked any miraculous signs. And of course, Nicodemus refused to be baptized by John and refused to repent of his sin. He was filled with utter self-righteousness. And that's what happens in the modern church. Self-righteousness wells up in the heart. The arrogance and the self-righteousness because we're Christians and we've got the We've got the churches and the buildings and the message and everything's cranking and we're making money and everything's beautiful except the lost are going to hell and we're not impacting our culture. We're not healing the sick. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit now I struggled over, what does that water baptism mean? well just that baptized in water repent, turn from evil, let the pure water of Jesus Christ wash you clean on the inside Prepare your heart to receive. You see, in the early church, a man was not brought into the church just because he said, I'm a Christian. In fact, the word Christian was used only three times in the scriptures. It's not a useful name. These were people of the way. These were people of the path. The early church was called the people of the way or the path. It was a journey toward a destination. And on that journey, the first step was John the Baptist preaching repent. And later, Jesus came preaching repent, and then Peter came, and Paul came, and all the apostles came preaching repent. Confess your sins before God. Stop playing games. Stop pretending you want to leave your sin, but you don't. If you don't leave your sin, it's because you love your sin. So the first step in the New Testament church was not to say a sinner's prayer. It was to get your life cleaned up. It was to repent of your sin and to confess it first and then to turn from it and prove by your works that you were no longer walking in that sin. Then you were offered a water baptism for cleansing an entrance into the church. And then you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So number one, you repent of your sins. Number two, you believe in Jesus as the Savior and Lord. Then you're baptized in water into Jesus Christ. And then you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. All separate events. We've homogenized all of that. And we've said you don't really need to be baptized in water. You really don't have to leave all your sin. Just repent a little. Say the sinner's prayer, and you're saved. And you've picked up your ticket to escape hell. That's not a New Testament teaching. That's a wicked American teaching of the church that is so compromised without clothes. It's like the emperor without any clothing on. And everybody's afraid to stand up and say, Pastor, you don't have any clothes on. Our church doesn't have any clothes on. What are we doing here? Nobody wants to say that. Oh, God, we need children who will speak up and say it. No clothes on. And so no purity and no power. but these were the basics of entering into the journey toward heaven this is what john bunyan speaks about so eloquently in his wonderful book pilgrim's progress 1678 published this is not what i'm saying is not new this is the old gospel this is this is not the modern american wicked Empty, dead gospel where there's no power in the church and there's no purity in the church and everything goes and oh we're we're so sweet one to another and we pretend everything's perfect and everything's okay and then we go out and live like hellions what do I say let's pray God we have no clothes on and we have no purity and we have no power a lot of self righteousness a lot of pride a lot of ambition a lot of anger a lot of money no purity and no power. Lord, I'm asking, please, would you come and do a work in the American church? Start with me in the National Prayer Chapel. Lord, if there's not a return of the baptism of water. If there's not a return of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we're going to be washed away in this wicked culture because we cannot stand against the enemy. Lord, would you come with power and with purity. I confess Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I love you, Jesus, with all of my heart, with all of my mind and all of my soul. But I have no power. Lord, we're all in this. It's time we admit it and start to deal with what we have to deal with to change that. And Lord, this is my one small attempt day by day on this broadcast to return to the power and vitality of the New Testament. Lord, come please and rescue your church in America. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor at the National Prayer Chapel. I pray this broadcast has been helpful. I pray you'll pass it on to others. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll be notified when others are coming. Tomorrow I will not have a YouTube channel. I'll be at the main studio at Weva for a meeting pray for me I love you God bless you